0: Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep... Monday through Monday actually as Well, here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures. All right, so I receive compensation for first bite presentations as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from SpeechTherapyPD.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech-Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow: Truth, Science and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy. But those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Hey, everybody. It's Michelle. And I am completely cup runneth over with joy because today I get to announce that Chasing the Swallow Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders is 100% done and in publication and you can check out your copy on Amazon. And the best part, if that book moves you, if it grows your evidence-based triangle to to engage in interprofessional practice, to do the root cause analysis, to why the child is presenting with the PFD, to then engage with the team to get that child to a point of healing so that the real growth can I begin? Then y'all check out speechtherapypd.com because they are gracious enough to entertain all of these amazing, joyful ideas. And they're currently carrying the book for 13.5 ASHA CEUs. So (sighs) thank you for being a part of the first bite journey that led to Chasing the Swallow. And be sure to check out speechtherapypd.com for the 13.5 ASHA CEUs that accompany it. Happy learning! Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. All right, everybody. Yay! Today, we have none other than um, a very sweet friend, uh, Mr. Stephen Neese, who is a dynamic, empowering SLP. And his professional love is all things augmentative, alternative, assistive, communication, AAA, because I feel like you have to add that third A in there for him. And he got the cutest baby girl who I understand just got over the creeping crud along with our tiny humans. And his wife owns, I'm going to give her a shout out, The Alley in downtown Aiken. And it is the coolest pub ever. So if you ever are in the mood to go get a killer pint and check out some beautiful horses in Aiken, South Carolina, please check out The Alley Tap Room. But Stephen, hi.
1: Yeah, Michelle, that was a pretty good intro. And thanks yes. for the wife plug too. I appreciate it.
0: I love her. She is like, she's so, y'all, she's, Stephen's like, I don't know, six five, it feels like. And your wife is like, what, five two, maybe?
1: And, she's five one. Yeah. Five, yes, two, yes. five and a half of one.
0: See, but like, and I love that she owns the restaurants and the pubs and you're the speech pathologist. This right. just makes my heart so happy.
1: It's an interesting dynamic. yeah.
0: Yes. Okay, wait, before we go to AAC, did she open a second restaurant as well?
1: Yeah, she owns a restaurant. I mean, and she's a partner of Whiskey Alley, which is a restaurant in Aiken as well. And then she is part owner of Draft Society, which is another bar in Augusta, Georgia. So just across the state line.
0: Yes. So if you're an SLP or a caregiver and you're looking for a cold one, go check out um, her pubs. Yay.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. Now all back to all things AAC. Okay. So we had you on, I want to say like what, like a year and a half ago you came on? Something like that. Yep. Before Crazy Life of All Things Skisha Consumed, um, because that's what
1: it Yeah, that, that did that for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah. Been there, done that, totally yes, understood. Yeah. And During that time, you were the lead AT consultant with Aiken County Public Schools. And just recently, you had quite the joyful move. And can you tell us where you are and where you're imparting wisdom now?
1: Absolutely. So unfortunately, leaving Aiken County, I loved working there. worked there for almost a decade. So it's definitely bittersweet. But now I'm going to be full-time teaching at Columbia College. So I'm very excited about that move.
0: Nice, nice. So folks, if you're listening and you're interested in getting your I'm sorry, dog just came downstairs to hulk a dog loogie. That was
1: really awkwardly
0: done. That has no merit on Columbia College (laughs) (laughs) whatsoever. Sorry, Anne-Marie. But Columbia College has a wonderful speech-language pathology assistant program here in South Carolina in Columbia. Also, Georgia O'Keeffe was a professor there, and they have an amazing art gallery and artwork like spread throughout. So if you love floral paintings and, you know, dynamic professors, <laughs> check out Columbia College. Okay. Yay. Yes. Okay. So today we get to talk about This episode's kind of geared towards our more complex patients, yes. Which I love. Right before we started recording, I was telling Stephen that right now in my two and a half days of work, I'm running 28 AAC trials because that just doesn't—that's
1: insane. Yeah, that's insane. It's
0: yeah, it's it's a lot, and it's comedic because we have so many people have their trial devices or are getting their approvals for their. Final devices so but like everybody picked the same background so we have a lot of blue backgrounds so before they go out the door we're like is this the correct child and their device (laughs) so like yay for group aac (laughs) sessions (laughs) for treatments with ot i think i'm just going to start putting like stickers on the back and be like yes yes but actually that's a really good idea (laughs) that's where we are in the world but This was not something that when I started out as an SLP, I ever would have, one, imagined myself doing, or two, ever been... I am not... I'm still not confident 100%. And I don't think anybody ever should be because I feel like if you reach that point, then you're going to miss something. Right, you're not going
1: to continue to learn because it's changing constantly.
0: Yes, but I'm, I'm confident enough to recognize that when I have a child that's really complex, I need to call on my council of elders. And those elders may not be like older than me. It's just the council of wisdom. And that's when I pick up the phone and I call the team and thank you, Kelsey Peterson with talk to me technologies and Lane Riles with control bionics. Cause you two have saved my Katukas the month of June for dropping all the things and popping over and doing hands-on trainings. But Steven's also there. He is in the council of elders to call. So How did you find your way there? How did you find your way to working with medically complex patients with AAC?
1: Well, you know, it it wasn't a direct road at all. And it wasn't something that I, like you were saying earlier, expected to do. You know, going through grad grad school, I didn't think, okay, AAC was going to be what I was going to focus on at all. It just kind of happened over the years. As you probably know, you kind of end up having these interests that, you didn't know what you didn't know from the start. So you kind of go through it and try out different things and find your specialty that you're just really interested in. And I guess looking back, I should have thought that this would be a place I would land. Just my interest and love of technology in general has always been there. So this was kind of a a really good fit. That need was in Aiken County. So it kind of an opportunity presented itself And then I decided to jump in and try that. And then I really, really enjoyed it. So and then it just kind of kept building and changing each year from there.
0: Nice. I mean, for me personally, it feels like a natural, like the last several years treating all these little ones with PFD. There's like such a natural connection with AAC. Right. Because a lot of them have, you know, an underlying medical etiology that makes spoken language more complex, right? Yeah, And so just, it kind of goes hand in hand. That being said, feeding therapy with a speech generating device can make for sticky, actual, literally
1: sticky (laughs) situations.
0: So like, that's been, may I, anybody listening, may I make a recommendation to cam scan the target vocabulary and laminate it such that when you're doing messy food play, you don't, you know, inadvertently damage a multi-thousand-dollar device. (laughs) So, And
1: that's a good point. Having that low-tech, mid-tech, high-tech, all of the the options for the context makes a ton of sense. So using that low-tech makes sense.
0: (laughs) Yes, because do as I say, not as I do. Yay for insurance. (laughs) So like... On that note, let's let's awkward turtle to a different topic. Okay. So, um, oh my God, Stephen, I really thought I broke one once, but like we're okay. It's fine. Yeah. It was, it, in my defense, we were making a chocolate pudding and running trucks through with like graham crackers and making mud. And it was, it was a grand day, but yeah, Q-tips are a girl's best friend. Okay. So when working with complex patients, let's start there. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking... Okay. First, folks, one, always assume competency. Just because a child is not non-speaking does not mean that they are not holding those thoughts in. Okay. And this includes our early intervention. I see a lot of EI cases and... I'm often told, well, you know, they're too young to work on a device. And it kind of cracks me up because the irony is that child knows how to hack into YouTube kids to play Coco Melon very, very easily. If they can do that, I bet we can probably use a speech generating device. Yeah. So just yeah. putting that thought out there. But what about our medically complex little ones? Where, where do you start? What are your thought processes there?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, a big part of it is thinking about access and you kind of hit on it, uh, accessing YouTube and going to Cocoa Melon or, or whatever.
0: Gotta that thing.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I think sometimes we feel as SLPs that access really isn't our thing, which I guess kind of can be true. But if you we're looking at it holistically, we have to think about that. When I think about complex cases, I really think about access and how that is going to happen. And one big piece of it is looking at your other team members you're talking about earlier, you know, calling on this team of elders. But uh, you you have to look at your PTs, OTs, ATPs, uh, which is uh, assistive technology professionals. And if you're working in the schools, maybe uh, the uh, special education teacher or the gen ed teacher can have some input in all of these different things. And that's when I really see a lot of positivity when we're working together as a very, very broad team. So a bunch of different people are providing input to find this unique novel solution for this unique individual. That's kind of the overarching theme of it, but it's like, okay, so how do you get there? And I really think you have to get there by knowing what's available. So, if they can't access it in a very direct way, well, what other options are there? And so you may may be that team member to spark that idea to say, okay, we need to go with this or we need to go with that or let's give this a shot instead of, huh, I, I don't know how they can access this. Let's move on. So I think w- there is a little bit of a chasm there because we're talking about access, but we're thinking about communication. And sometimes it, that access has to come first and we have to figure out how to do that before we <laughs> we can really, really focus on communication, but there's ways to do that at the same time. Maybe we're doing some low-tech stuff to access that communication part of it as we're still can continuing to figure out how to access a more robust high-tech device. And really, technology has provided us with so many different options here. So that's really, really exciting. And that's going to continue to move. That's going to continue to improve for us. So even the kiddo that you think, okay, there's no option that I'm aware of, there's something. That at least it's coming. So it's really good to know all of the different options. And I'll kind of do a little brief overview of all those different options so you can kind of get yourself thinking. So next time you're working with a complex case, you're like hmm, I don't really know how they can access it. Well, maybe one of these options can help. And it doesn't mean like, okay, that was the solution, but at least it's a starting point. You can uh, start collaborating with that team. So, all right, let's try this out. Let's try this out. A ton of trial with these kiddos and uh, utilizing AAC in general. And so really you have two big subsections, direct selection and then indirect selection. And really direct selection is just using any body part whatsoever, or even an extension of a body part to select Indicate activate a device of any kind, really. And then you have the other side of it, and that's indirect selection. You really want to go with a direct selection option first before re- uh, resorting to indirect selection, just because indirect selection is... It's not as efficient. So creating the messages is going to be a good bit slower. Communicating is going to be slower. And also it's uh, cognitively taxing as well. And really uh, what indirect selection is, is using a switch. So you're using a switch to move through a series of potential items, toys, messages, just core vocabulary, what have you, to select something. But the kind of key there is start with direct selection, and we'll talk about all those different options in just a second. And then you drop down to that indirect selection if we can't find something uh, that works there in the direct selection area. And then after indirect so you have direct, indirect, and it's like, okay, I still can't find anything well, that we're still not done. We still have other options. So, as you were talking about presuming competence and all, all that earlier, so it's true. Like we just have to find the right fit for that individual. I, I guarantee that there is something that will work uh, in all the different options that I'm going to talk about today. With every single one of your clients. So it, there is an option out there, but you just have to be aware of those options and sometimes it can take a very very long time to implement and we have to have that yeah. patience to get, to get there. And it helps of course to have team buy-in especially Parent buy-in, so we're we're working with it and doing a ton of parent coaching as yeah. well. So that's going to be a huge part of it. So those direct, so like let's let's go into those direct selection options. So so what am I talking about when I'm talking about direct selection? As I said earlier, so any body part, and this is going to typically be an index finger, but I worked with kids that use both of their thumbs, and that was what they felt comfortable that it was comfortable with. That was their personal preference. Hey. Whatever. I, I don't really care as long as they can efficiently do it.
0: I had one little girl use her big toe.
1: Oh, oh, and I was about to—I was about to talk about an example of us uh, that used their big toe. Well,
0: she used it for sassy purposes. I mean, this was not like her. Like she wanted to sign with. Me. Oh yeah, she she would sign with me, but use her AAC device with her big toe. And when she was at school, she would use her hands for her AAC device. But with me, she would just roll her eyes and give me the business because she was. Sassy and delightful and joyful, so like you know, <laughs>
1: you gotta love the sass. You gotta love the sass.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, continue. I'm so sorry.
1: No, yeah, yeah. please interject. I <laughs> didn't. One uh, cool example, and and look, look him up. You can look him up on probably just Google it, and you can find a video of him you uh, accessing his AAC device. Uh, all-star user. Uh, his name is Chris Klein. His last name K-L-E-I-N. And he's a great advocate for all AAC users. So he uses his big toe, not, not, not for the SAS purposes, but um, for that is his uh, best access point. So he was not able to utilize his hands whatsoever. So his big Toe became his uh, access. I believe he uses his left toe, uh, but that may just be how the camera is—you know, how it kind of flips the image. Could be right, his right toe, but anyway, he uses one big toe to access his device, and he is a stellar user. So that's a really good example. There are also options that are extensions of your body, so it doesn't even have to be your direct body part, but it could be a mouth stick or a head pointer. Mm-hmm. So it's an extension of your body, but we still kind of consider that direct access. And something to consider when we're talking about direct selection is uh, screen size and uh, then key guards and touch guides. So if that is what's required, I would suggest it versus trying to go to a different access method because this direct selection is going to be the most efficient. And if we can get it to be accurate and efficient by just increasing the screen size, and uh, adding a key guard and or adding a key guard or touch guide, and then then do it versus trying to go Wait. eye gaze or... T- uh, did you have a question?
0: Go ahead. No, I was going to say there's something that I have had my cup filled significantly the last six months yeah. because I've worked in a facility where it's almost exclusively OTs and only a handful of like part-time SLPs, yeah. right? Okay. So... Something that I never really grasped was the amount of visual motor integration versus visual perception and overall ocular, how do they phrase it? Ocular muscular fatigue and something called a doll's eye reflex, which Stephen, I hadn't heard of a doll's eye reflex until like... Six months ago, sure. but a doll's eye reflex is where you look out of the corner of your eye and hold it. And for some patients, it could be, it could present as a stem, but for some patients it's to, they use it to heighten their peripheral vision Yeah, for like CVI. But one eye in retrospect ever so quickly would Take a device and perceive it as not being a functional option, Mm -hmm. but based off of like my inexperience, but with a quick switch to a black background, like LAMP, switching that over to a black background as opposed to the white background, wow, what a difference it made for my patients that didn't even have a known cortical vision impairment. Right. It just alleviated and allowed them to be able to not have to discriminate and work as hard visually. And so I have, instead of having the white background as my go-to, I've switched to having the black background as my go-to for um, direct access. And it has, I mean, I'll, I'll try the white still, but having that one little change made such a profound impact. So I just, and I would not have known that had it not been for all the OTs like filling my cup.
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. And, that, and that's what I'll talk about. Like, you have to use your other team members so much. Yes. Uh, like, we're not going to be the expert at everything, it's just impossible. We can't. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm talking to, yeah, and we had a, a situation this school year, literally trying to figure out access for an individual the entire year trying to find what makes the most sense, and we're still not done. We're still working on it, but we worked so well together. The the PT, the OT, and we had a, a speech pathologist, and I was really kind of like an AT consultant. We had a feeding specialist on the team that was really, really great at AAC, so she had input as well. Then we had the Special education teacher having input because they're there every single day with this child. We had their uh, the paraprofessional that works directly, he had a ton of input. It, yeah, it was just all. all yeah, and, and all comes together. But yeah, that's especially the OT and PT as far as CBI and thinking about all these different things. And, and we actually had a, a vision specialist on that team as well. So it was just crazy how many different voices were in there. And we were coming up with unique uh, solutions that we definitely couldn't have come up with individually. Like no way, no way. So yeah.
0: So what did y'all, what was the final decision? What was the outcome for that little one? All
1: right. So we we have a high tech eye gaze. We're utilizing high tech eye gaze. We have low tech uh, eye gaze boards as well. So we have to have it mounted in position position very, very specifically. So when he's in transitions, he's doing all these different things. He needs an option to communicate. So we're using low-tech boards for him to be able to communicate in those uh, contexts. So he has both of those things, but then we're beyond that, we're doing a ton of switch access games and things like that. He's not ready to communicate with those, just like we were talking about working on access. So we're working on switches too. Mm -hmm. And so what we ended up going with is a toggle switch and it was an arm trough. So basically he was had his arm support and then this is something OT and PT were working on alongside the SOP and myself, arm trough with that toggle switch. So what we're doing mm-hmm. now is just trying to get consistent access with that while he's still utilizing the others. And so really long, long term, it, he has so many different options when we're doing all these different things. Our long-term thought is, going to pair that high-tech eye gaze with that toggle switch. So we're going to minimize fatigue. So he's looking around, he's making selections with his toggle switch versus uh, relying on that dwell time. So this is going to make him way, way more efficient and way less fatiguing. So he can communicate a lot more throughout his day by pairing those two. And then he has some backups. Let's say his high-tech eye gaze isn't working for him. He's too fatigued that day. Then we can use that switch uh, and really long, long, long long-term is to have multiple switches for him. So he can two switch uh, scanning versus, uh, you know, relying on one switch, which is way slower to have all those different options. So he can communicate regardless of the situation. This is a kiddo that has a ton of seizures, a very complex case. So his ability to access these things changes from day to day. So that was really where we landed is like, we're going to do a bunch of different things, but we're going to pick those things and we're going to get really, really good at them. So he can communicate literally in any context. And again, like if he doesn't, he's not able to access his, High tech uh, device, then he can utilize those low tech options too. So we're we're kind of hitting it on multiple different levels. So that that's kind of and and I just loved how we all worked together to figure that solution out. And you could tell like all the team members really enjoyed that whole process to figure that yeah. out. And it was like and it was all about the kid. It was it was never about any of us, you know, kind of stepping on each other's toes or anything like that. It didn't matter. No one cared whose solution it was. It was what's best for this child. And that, that was yeah. really, really, really fun.
0: We had Lane Riles came out and she's done some in-services at work. Yeah. Kelsey comes out. Kelsey's also come out and done in-services. And And what I love about when they come and do that is... Without that firsthand experience of sitting in the chair and engaging in head tracking or engaging in eye gaze or engaging in, I call it the egg, but the ENG signal with yeah. the neural node, I think it looks like an egg. It just kind yeah, of cracks no, me up. Yeah, yeah. And like that's kids, kids enjoy that. Like, okay, let's do the egg, but like, or I think it's funny. <laughs> like, I'm a comedian. So, anyways, but like without actually trying it, Folks, this is fatiguing. This is, it's such a workout and you wouldn't, on the outside looking in, you don't think it's a workout, but it's. It's akin to all of us that are not athletic passing (laughs) judgment on the Olympics when we're like, well, that guy clearly didn't run fast enough. And like, when was the last time you got your butt up and actually attempted to do like a quarter of a mile, much less like, like the jumps and like, here we are like, oh, all of us become subject matter experts for the day during Olympic season. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's hysterical because I'm totally right there doing that.
1: (laughs) It's kind of part of the fun.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. But like, that's just it. So uh, folks, try this. Okay. And then also, Stephen, this has been something that's just – and like before we go back into like the direct access and indirect access and all of this, this is something that's just on my heart. And it's – I have – From a early intervention, private practice practitioners perspective, I have all these little ones that we are trying all these devices with, and then we're sending them to the schools. But what we noticed was that there was this breakdown on that reception end, right? And it was a A misunderstanding that because that specific SLP was not part of the AT team, the designated AT team, that they themselves could not use the device or unless they had that consultation. And my suggestion was that this is in our wheelhouse and this is in our scope of practice and that even if you are not the designated AT individual, if a child's coming in with the device, then we need to carry it over and so what we did clinically was that we started inviting the local district SLPs to these trainings that we're hosting for free Love that. to try. Right. Right. Because we need to make a bridge and it's free. And we did it during the summer when we're out of school and we're not working. And you know what? People showed up because we built that bridge. And, but like, can you talk about that? Like ever so briefly, like as the, like former AT lead, like what, Role responsibilities, clarify, please, sir. Well,
1: one hundred percent. So we see a lot of that in, in that situation that I was discussing. We had the uh, private OTPT uh, and SLP, at most of those meetings. So we had so many voices within that room. But yes, your concern is very much valid because most of the time that's not what's going on. It's not that we're doing this collaborative, beautiful team thing together. It's a lot of silos. It's a lot of uh, communication breakdowns. It's a lot of, well, that's not my job or that's not my responsibility. And of course, that's like, no, 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 no. Um, And I feel like one of the uh, things that we were doing, and and they can kind of will continue to do this well, because I know all the members that are kind of replacing my role are just all fantastic SLPs. And, and that is really not to look at it as an expert model. We're looking at it as a consultative coaching model. This is your child, that the SLP like within that school. This is your case that you need to take responsibility of. We will help you as much as possible. We will be at these meetings. We will talk. But We'll come in and do observations. We'll see what's going on with what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong and coach you and not, and it, because I think it's kind of born out of fear a little bit or just uh, inadequacy. Like they just feel like they are not going to do a good job. And I can think of one individual that had a lot of, uh, an SOP that I was working with that had a lot of issues with that. They just felt like they just were doing it wrong. Or And, yes. and, and they and, and honestly, she just needed to get beyond that barrier And then she's done an amazing job. And it's really been cool to see her kind of jump over that barrier because I I think she's never going to go back. I think she now she's going to take each of these cases just straight to it and not try to avoid it. And I think that's going to be the the biggest piece of it. People just feel inadequate a lot of times and like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to look stupid or I don't want to do the wrong thing for this kid. They really care about that kid.
0: That's because we're type A. Right. That's because speech pathologists are type A anal retentive and we are. And if I know there's an Instagram account for type B SLPs that
1: call that one.
0: That's not the norm. Yes, sorry.
1: Oh uh, no, no. Go ahead. I think you're you're right on. And that's exactly what this individual was doing. You know, they had to do it perfectly or they weren't going to do it at all. And it was just, it was very, you know, slightly unhealthy way to look at it. And, and so that's why we were really trying to do this coaching model. We're not just going to take this kid away from you and say, oh, this isn't your responsibility. And then she, she grew over the years. And now it's, I don't have to be so hands on with that individual. So I think we continue to coach, coach, coach. And then we're going to move on to these different areas. A new SLP comes in or a veteran that was working in a different context, a different setting, you know, transitions to a school and maybe didn't even work with PEDS or AAC at all. All right, now I'm going to focus on you and we're going to coach you. And we do in-services constantly throughout the year. Any opportunities we do, we have those in-services. So that's how we were tackling it. But I'm we are a, a larger school district, so we had those resources to do it. Think about some more rural school districts that may have just a handful of SLPs that don't have that those individuals that can do that coaching model there. So it's a little more difficult. But I think the crux of it is just being very open to continuing to learn and just being open to maybe not do it perfectly, but you're trying every single day and you'll get there like very, very quickly. I think that's just the biggest barriers, like thinking that we have to be 100% perfect or not have, not have the ability to ask somebody and feel stupid. Like, no, never, never just ask if you don't feel like you're comfortable with something. And then you can get there very, very quickly because you have, all the tools from grad school and your clinical practice and your continuing education. And you may just need just a little bit more information in this particular area. And you're gonna jump on board. I see I've seen it over and over again, that same kind of issue. And and sometimes I see the same issue with that barrier staying and people not really getting over it. And it just it annoys me. And but I, I think <laughs>
0: like it does more than annoy you but that is the polite
1: answer but (laughs) but but the thing is i I, because it annoys me or whatever other word that i'm thinking i'm not saying Uh because i I, it's okay we can edit go ahead (laughs) i I know that they can do it you know i know there's like just try and it's this isn't a knowledge barrier this is a psychological barrier for you're putting on yourself and and Uh i think that's kind of the crux of it. With any of those situations you're referring to, maybe not all of them. (laughs) I hope to think that there's no nefarious things going on, but I would imagine that's a ton of it. It's It's just fear.
0: Okay. So ladies and gents, my suggestion is this. Did you know that most of the AAC equipment providers, the representatives, Can establish long-term loans for your clinic, for your facility, or with you yourself, especially if like you're a private practice and you're, you know, a solo practitioner. And those loans can be upwards of six months or, I mean, bless 100%.
1: Yeah.
0: The folks that we work with, they just kind of we sign the contract and it kind of the contract does look like you're buying a car and or signing your soul away. But like, you know, case or all, we get that contract and then it's yours to practice with. And what I suggest is take it home, sit down on a quiet night. I mean, pour yourself a lovely glass of mommy juice and just engage with it. Get on it, watch your kids, your own personal offsprings. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how many times I have AAC equipment in my car or in our house and it's going to the clinic or I'm shipping it back because the trial is concluded. And the kids are back there and they're making sentences and they're trying it out themselves. And, and they're better at it than I am, but they're a tech generation and I am gray haired and Botoxed, (laughs) So like, this was like a learning curve for me. But that helped me overcome it. And now, honestly, in almost every single patient that I work with, even if they don't need it, I always have it with me just in the event of. So there's that. Okay. All right. Back to the, so check them out, PM us, message us. Steven, how can, wait, real quick. How can they reach you in the world of social media or on Instagram if they have a question for that?
1: So I have my own personal account, but uh, speech and language Songs. So I, I do a lot there. So I create a lot of uh, music and videos for AAC. So you can shoot me a message at speech and language songs. I'm on all the different things. So you just search that and I'm, I'm there.
0: Yes. And then so message him and then you can get to the, we can give you recommendations on like those companies and how to do it. Okay. But back to, back to what we started on 400 iterations and tangents ago, direct versus indirect access.
1: Yeah. 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 And we'll kind (laughs) of keep keep going down that road. And so last thing that I was kind of talking about the direct access, The screen size, key guards, touch guides. Those are really a good option. Again, I want to mention a bunch of different things so you just have your mind thinking about all these different options. Because at this point, when I'm looking at a kid and we're working, I'm thinking about all these different things. But if you haven't had, and then I get to draw from experiences like, oh yeah, that really worked well with this kid seven years ago, you know. And then you start building that library in your brain, and then an evaluation becomes a very different thing for you. Just like you're like just watching this kid's like, oh, okay, that, 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 you know, it's like, all right, let's try that, 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 you know, I have like seven different, uh, if this doesn't work, then get to that, then get that. But that's why I want to provide some of those different options. So your brain is kind of thinking that way too. Oh, maybe this type of switch will work, whatever. So uh, screen size and key guards and touch guides. And I have a really good example of a kid that I worked with uh, this school year that this worked perfectly for. So we we started off with an iPad. We're talking vision issues as well as fine motor issues. And then a regular iPad just was not working. It wasn't large enough. There wasn't enough space between uh, the different icons, all of that. So we moved to an iPad Pro. We started doing some uh, more thicker borders between each of the icons. We're masking a ton.
0: Wait, translate masking, not facial mask for COVID. Translate (laughs) masking.
1: Yeah, yeah. good good point. So masking, occluding, you're blocking off these icons. So they're just blank. So you have a lot more space. Uh, Visually, it's uh, less busy. So you're not seeing all these different options. So we only had a handful of options on the screen. And the reason why we do that versus like, let's say we have four icons that are showing. Instead of having just a big, grid of four, we have to think about motor planning and long-term solutions here. So if we occlude those, block those, mask those, instead of just creating a completely different symbol set, so we have those four, instead of that, let's think of Lamp Works for Life, we have 84 on that screen, and we still have all 84 of those icons available, like they're there, Mm -hmm. but we block them out, and we only have those four, and then we can slowly add, and those icons never move or change size. So we're developing those strong motor plans. And then we're adding a new word, adding a new word, adding a new word. And we're, and it's just like learning on a keyboard. So let's, let's say I learn you know, the home keys first, ASDF or whatever, uh, JKL and that, whatever, whatever the ones are. So you start there and then you start branching out. If every time I learned a new letter on the keyboard, we changed the sizes of the keys and changed the, the layout, that would be extremely confusing. So that's kind of the idea of masking, occluding, whatever word you want to use for that. So that that's what that is. But so we're doing a lot of that. Still wasn't great. It was okay. We moved to an iPad Pro, larger screen. It was okay, still not completely where we wanted to be. Um, and then we were working with Katie Lee, uh, PRC Saltillo, and then we ended up going with, after doing a bunch of different trials, we uh, went with an Accent 1400 and had a key guard with it, and that was a game changer. So, And we got very specific with the key guard, so the openings for that key guard, and the key guard is basically just a piece of plastic that is on top of the screen so he can and one of one of the biggest issues he was laying his hand on the device and then Mm -hmm. making his selection and we couldn't do it like like, oh that you have to take your hand off that you know so it's just like "Mm, this is not working but as soon as we got that key guard and then the accent 1400 which has a large screen super heavy so that was kind of our Uh, We had to think about "Mm, uh, that's not going to be very portable, but because he's a very young kid, he's four. uh, So that's not going to be very portable, but this is the only way he's really going to access it efficiently, and that's okay. (laughs) So we have like, okay, we're going to have somebody be his transporter at this point until he kind of grows up and gets to. Point where he can uh, transition that himself. So that was one of the caveats there, and like I didn't love that part of it. It's Like, but this is going to be the best for him to communicate and access anyway. So we utilized that key guard, and as soon as we got that access, fourteen hundred with the key guard ready to go set up, and we were using lamp for life on that one. And he just started blossoming. So it was like we got access piece out of the way. And so he wasn't really having to deal with that so much. And he was just able to communicate. And so now we're focusing on what we really want to focus on in the first place because we set up the exact situation for him. We could have easily handed him an iPad and said, this isn't a good fit, and then done. But that's not what we did. We kept working and trying and trying and trying and trying until we came up with a solution that was a little bit better, or, or way better than just uh, utilizing that iPad. So that, that's something you have to think about. And so. And that, something that you continue on with direct selection and, and eye gaze and infrared sensing or head tracking are kind of in that because you're directly manipulating that device. And and you mentioned that we've talked about eye gaze already a little bit, but eye, eye gaze, um, high tech and low tech options out there. So really think about both of those things, even if they're really, really, really good users of the high tech options, still have that low tech backup. And I feel like that goes for all of AAC users, having a low tech backup is never a bad idea. So so if something stops working, you'll have that. Or even in the context, what we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, we're traveling around, we're going in transitions, we're eating. So all those different things, iLink, one-step low-tech board or eTran, two-step board is a really cool thing to utilize too. And eTran has like multiple different layers that you can switch in and out depending on what they choose. So basically it has And if we're thinking about like the alphabet and spelling things out and they're color coded in each different section of that low tech eye gaze board. So you choose the purple one and then your communication partner is going to switch it out. Okay, now these are the letters that correspond with that color coded purple uh, board and then you can continue on there. So an E-Train board is a really cool option, too.
0: Y'all, it's a clear plexiglass. So what he's describing is a clear plexiglass board that the communication partner looks through one side with the communication user on like the other side. And you can see the letters are color coded and then there's color blocks around. So when you go to do, to look it up, it's e TRAN, T-R-A-N.
1: No, thank you. And so those are options. You know, those are additional options. Or you can just have that iLink uh, or low-tech kind of thing, which is just a one-step thing. Or, or you can have multiple steps with that, those uh, type. And you can really be flexible. It can be clear plexiglass. You can have some that you just make. And you ha- if you don't have that available, you can make something and you're just cutting a window out in the middle of it when all the options are all, are all the way around it. So and there's a lot of things that we've done, you know, in the school district and Just we're making stuff. It doesn't have to be something that you're purchasing, so it can be very, very inexpensive too. So, and of course, there's many great high-tech eye gaze options out there, and I'm I'm sure you've worked with a ton of these different companies. And I've I've worked with Toby Donavox options, uh, PRC Saltillo has a ton of options. And then as you mentioned, Lane uh, earlier, uh, Control Bionics has a lot of options there too. Another option is infrared sensing or head tracking. And this is a little less fatiguing than eye gaze, So it's definitely worth a shot. Traditionally use a dot between the eyes or on glasses or on a baseball hat or something similar. But in the past few years, there is a there's an iOS update, so an, the operating system for iPads, iPhones, and things like that, that enabled head tracking, and this was mainly for iPad Pros and iPhones. They didn't have to use any additional equipment or those dots or anything like that. So this technology leveraged the already existing uh, facial ID, and that's technology that we all use on a daily basis. So this works for an iPhone. X or iPhone 10 or later or an iPad Pro that came out in 2018 or later. And I would imagine that iPads, like just a typical iPad, is going to have that capability in the future. So that's a really cool thing. So you don't necessarily have to get additional equipment or anything like that. So you can give that a shot if you have an iPad Pro or, or and so it's going to be difficult with an iPhone. That would only really be useful for very specific contexts. But uh, iPad Pro has that larger screen. So that's uh, worth Mm -hmm. a shot. But then you have you know, companies that have uh, equipment as well, you can work with that. And another option is going to be joystick or alternative mice, a bunch of different options here, Uh, a Chester mouse, and that's just, just has one button that you're clicking an ergonomic mouse. You can have that kind of sideways mouse that can work a trackpad, roller mouse, joystick with all these different attachment options. We've done that a good bit. One really big success story. I'm working with a kid and worked with PT and outside ATP to utilize his, uh, he had a power chair and that joystick that he had on this power chair, we paired with his AAC device. So in conjunction with a keyboard that had a key guard on it as well, and then that joystick that was already existing on his wheelchair, which you have to imagine he's really, really good at because he uses that all day, every day. So we already had that access piece. So we integrated that for his academic assignments as well as his communication needs and we had so many different configurations until we found like something that actually worked we had he had like he looked like he was in mission control over there with like devices all around him and it was like okay, this is a little little much and and we had you know we had to kind of go through that and figure out okay we have all kind of technology here for him but he's not actually being social and this kid was Extremely social it's because we put up so many barriers in front of him. So that was something else we had to consider. So we ended up dropping it down to all just a mountain Microsoft surface. And then we found this uh, mountain mover uh, mount from Blue Sky Designs that was just so smooth and so easy to move out of his way very, very quickly. And he was able to actually do that as well. So he could look at people in the eye when he was talking to them and, and do that. So that, that was another little piece to it that was super, super important. And so in this particular kid, he preferred just using Microsoft Word and just typed in it and used the read aloud function for his communication. We tried all these different things. He didn't want it. He wanted to use that. And we're like, fine you know, your personal preference is going to come into play here. And that's something that we have to think about because we were thinking, oh, well, this may be more efficient. That may be more efficient. And it was like, well, I'm going to do this. And we're like, okay, well, we'll get, we'll get on board with you. Thinking about all those uh, different joysticks. And there's all these different things you can add to joysticks, like massive foam balls. So there's like this little T-mount. And I or T T-stick thing and the PT and OT and that, that ATP were super helpful to try out a bunch of things. Again, leaning on those other team members is super, super important. And then, so that's kind of really all of the direct access options. So there's a ton of different things. And then you move into this more indirect access. And so we're thinking about switches here. So are we talking about single switches? We're talking about multiple switch control. And what makes someone a good switch candidate. So there's a few things that you need to really think about. Is there consistent, reliable, physical movement? So identify that Reliable, consistent physical movement? And can they repeat that movement with minimal effort? Because again, we have to think about that movement is going to have to occur over and over and over again. And can they repeat that movement upon request? Can they do it really whenever they want to? And is the activity motivating enough that they want to actually use that switch? So those are a few different things you have to think of. And I'm going to very quickly rattle off some of these types of switches and what they, what they, Uh, look like. A pressure switch, and this is super, super common, and activate with varying amounts of pressure. Big reds, Orbeez, pillows, so many more, but that's probably the most common uh, type of switch that you see out there. Uh, Touch, uh, just activate when you touch it, but there's no need to actually provide pressure or movement. You just have to touch those things. Pow pad, wafers, plate switches, star switches, a tongue touch switch. And we've used those with uh, students that that was really their most consistent movement. I can think of one uh, kiddo in particular that we've worked with it over the past few years. And that was it. Like That was the place to go was he was able to access that switch with his tongue, but we didn't have any other places that we could go for consistent movement.
0: Can you share what the etiology was, what the little little one had?
1: I really don't remember to be honest with you. I remember utilizing that tongue touch as kinda of like a plate switch, but specifically made to be used with a tongue. But I do not remember the ideology. Sorry.
0: Okay. No, the, okay, this is this is my thought process. Yeah. I remember when I first moved to South Carolina, Carol told me, Dr. Carol Page, um, you know, she's the director of the assistive technology office for South Carolina. She said, Michelle, you gotta remember you wanna start where you want to end. Yes. Yeah. So, Folks, when you're thinking about this and he's rattling off all these different access points, you also have to understand what is the patient's etiology and comorbidities that you're working with because if they have a condition that is deteriorating in nature, then – and we don't want to think about that, especially in the world of pediatrics, but that is – we, we see it, right? I mean, I've worked with palliative hospice care calls and, th- and little ones in their winter season, right? But when we're going through that, you just, when you're looking at access points, where are we going to go? So Sorry, that's what no. my thought process is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Continue. And this was a, this was actually a high school student. Okay. to change it a little bit, but I, honestly, I, I don't recall uh, what the etiology was. Okay. But yeah, that's a great point. Well, always, with all of these different things, even uh, thinking about the motor planning that we talked about earlier, I mean, you're keeping the end in mind always. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's a, a great point. And so I'll, I'll keep rolling with these uh, different types of switches. Movement, activate by sensing movement. Movement with actually no physical contact. Some of these switches could be proximity switch and untouchable. There's even these like tilt switches that you can actually be gripping in clients' hand and they can just tilt one direction or the other to access it. But because if they didn't have the ability to actually press down on the switch or even touch it, but I could just tilt one arm. That could be an option. Uh, There are temperature switches, which I've never even used a temperature switch. These are activated by sensing a change in temperature, but it's really cool that those things are out there. A Sound switch,
0: that's very cool, but I'd be so. It's hotter than Hades outside <laughs> right now, and I'm just thinking if we went outside, that whole thing could just go. Brrr. But right. yes, I, okay, absolutely, Continue.
1: yes. That like, yeah. like I said, I know that it's a thing, but I'm never actually used it <laughs> the in the world, that. so. You know, you may be listening like, "Oh, that's a good fit for my kid," but uh, yeah, I'm not 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 sure what the uh, actual application is there. But uh, I, those are things that are out there. So, sound, and uh, this is a really cool one: the activate by sound or vocalization. And one example of this is the uh, uh, self-calibrating auditory tone infrared. So you just All you have to do is make a sound. And basically you have like this headset with this microphone right in front of the client's mouth and they just make a sound to activate that switch. Which is pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've used that before, and uh, pneumatic um, ones. And this is kind of thinking of old school, but it's definitely something that uh, we we still use. And I've definitely used these a good bit. Pneumatic activate by a puff of air. So mostly I, I used to think of like just sip and puff, which is a dual switch. There's quad puffs, and then there's the grip switch that is actually like you're applying pressure to it, and is pushing air through it. So you can do that with your hand, typically is how we use those grip switches, and it's uh, sending air through that to activate it. There's this guy, his name, or he, his self-proclaimed name is the Quad Father. So he's a quadriplegic that, who's a computer programmer who is hilarious. So he started coding like many, many, many years ago. I'm talking like 30, 35 years ago. And he was coding only using a sip and puff. So you would have to imagine how fatiguing and how crazy that was uh, to code with just a sip and puff switch because you had to go through all your different options on a keyboard till you you got to the key that you wanted. Then you select that one. Then you move to the next one. Uh, Just insane.
0: Yeah, that's – sorry, Christian's trying to teach the boys how to code now. Yeah, yeah. And like – okay wait let's just preface this they're seven and nine and he's <laughs> teaching the boys how to code and he's like baby, hey, they can be really good hackers and i'm like why are we discussing this and he's like trust me the military needs really <laughs> good hackers and i'm like wouldn't it be anti-hacking but like okay w- i i digress but like okay and this guy is called the quad father i'm doing the cool. google this is amazing yeah
1: this is he calls himself that so i was watching a uh the Apple's uh, WWDC, that worldwide de- developers uh, conference. So I was watching and he was doing a keynote and this was just a few years ago. And it was amazing. His story was so amazing. And and really what he was focusing on is talking about how technology has continued to progress and the accessibility features. And he's mainly, I mean, Apple's conference. So he was mainly focusing on Apple's accessibility features and all these different options. And now he's able to do so, so much. And this is a person that he can speak and he can, so he he was able to say whatever he wanted to. So not necessarily AAC, but as far as the access method part of it, which is absolutely unreal. But now he's able to dictate whatever he wants directly into the computer with ease. So it's crazy to think, Of how much freedom he has now, because he can go into his house, turn on the lights, turn on the TV, and he wasn't able to do any of that. Open his door, lock his door, go for walks, you know, with with his wheelchair, and just his whole world is wide open because of these technological developments that we've made. It just, it was just very, very inspiring listening to him because he was just so, so positive. And so just inspiring to listen to. Anyway, so that, that was kind of an aside, but I, I found that very interesting. He was a really cool guy. And another option, and you talked about it earlier, electromyography, EMG, and I think a NeuroNode here.
0: Yeah. The mouse, the mouse, sorry. Yes, the egg.
1: The, yeah. and so, so, and that's not something that I haven't used any other ones outside of the node. So that that's kind of my go-to uh, Lane Riles uh, control bionics for when that's uh, needed. And so an EMG is just the measurement of electrical activity associated with the activation of a muscle group. So you don't necessarily even have to be able to touch anything. You just have to activate that. Um, so it's really cool. And the trilogy that they have going on with control bionics is a really cool setup You utilizing eye gaze and then you can have emg and i like the idea we talked about that earlier with the kiddo that i was talking about using eye gaze and using a toggle switch but it's kind of the same thing using eye gaze but using the emg as kind of your mouse click uh, so that's going to make yeah. it way way more efficient and then the trilogy piece of then you have direct selection and that really kind of comes into play for communication partners so i just i lo- love that idea because you don't have to rely on that dwell time and it just makes it so much less efficient and fatiguing. So I really like that part of it. And so the next piece of it is a one versus two switches. So I talk about all these different switches. So why would I use two or why would I use one? And really when it comes down to uh, if they're able to use two switches, then give them two switches. I mean, so it's a little bit different if they're doing eye gaze plus a switch or something like that. But if they're not doing something paired like that, then I would suggest two switches if they're able to. Because two switches are so much more efficient in comparison to just one switch. You have to utilize automatic scanning with just one switch. Dwell time comes into play, like I was just talking about. And this can be very slow, cognitively taxing and just frustrating.
0: Wait, hold on. Yep. Guys, when he's talking about dwell time, when you're using... This access method. It's how long is the specific Icon, the specific um, word or image that you want to c- communicate, you have to like be on that icon for a set period of time. And it could be like one second, it could be three seconds, but you can change the dwell time. Sorry. Continue. No,
1: I, I appreciate you. You got to keep jumping in and saying, that, <laughs> clarifying okay. things I'm saying. I appreciate that. I need you around all the time, but I, I'm just <laughs> rattling things off and people are like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I need Michelle. Just <laughs> to sit there, right? Like, is the translate. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> But just like throw up a hand, like okay, you're you're getting a little too in the weeds, and you need some. Yeah, have a tendency of doing that. So thank you. Gotcha. So yeah, and and another piece with that is you have to pause it. Like, let's. I want to take a break for a second. You know, you have to pause that, or you're going to start selecting things that you don't want to select because it's always going. So uh, using two switches is going to be the way to go. But, you know, if that's not an option, that's okay, and I've seen some really efficient single switch users just rocking it. So it, it's definitely a thing, but I definitely consider two switches if that's possible. And single switch, you know, requires more visual concentration, cognitive focus. You must have very good timing because if you miss it with that single switch, that automatic scanning because you're just going through icons, you may be going through like different sections of the screen that you're selecting But if you miss the one that you want, you're going to have to wait for it to go all the way back around again. So you have to have really good timing. So that's consistent focus all the time. And so obviously it's going to take a much longer uh, for a user to select things. So the communication piece of it, that social piece of it is tougher because there's just so much slower communication time. And so that's pretty much it as far as those different two switches versus one switch, like always try to do two switches if, if at all, prop, at all prop possible. All of these different access methods that we're talking about And let's say, and I know we're we're really focusing on uh, complex cases today, so let's, let's say communication and access, doing that all at one time isn't feasible at the moment, that's okay. That's okay. So we, we don't need to leave any of these kiddos behind. It's like, well, they're not able to meet that goal. We need to move up. Oh, we can't uh, do this with them at all. No. Uh, we, we can practice the access method. So we can get really good at that. And we can do that through playing games as well. Yes. And then we can add those, uh, the communication piece and the access method together later on down the road. Again, we can still be use, uh, working on communication pieces, again, low tech or something like that in the meantime.
0: Wait, can, can I interject because I have the perfect example.
1: For go, go, go.
0: Yes. Okay. So folks, I have this little bitty guy who he was one of the first patients that I was able to like recognize. I got so excited. I like almost choked on my spit just there. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. He was one of the first little ones that I actually recognized the doll's eyes in and like learned the doll eyes reflux with this little guy. And okay. So PMH loosely, we had neonatal abstinence syndrome grade three, maybe a grade four hemorrhagic CVA, impacted frontal lobe, as well as a cerebellum. We have mixed cerebral palsy, um, secondary to the um, hemorrhagic infarct, IVH, and is non-speaking. But again, non-speaking is does not mean that we don't have something to convey. And he was able to reach for two objects to discriminate between two objects, We had socially, we can um, convey what we want through happy sounds, unhappy sounds. That's where we're at. Hemiplegic on the left side, retracted right side, we use raking finger grasp. And so we can't isolate our index finger. And it would, so if he's reaching to activate a toy, it was also very inconsistent. Lots of aversions to different surfaces. We didn't want to play with buttons. We've attempted switches. And he honestly would see them and chuck them because he's opinionated. As such, any four-year-old should be, right? (laughs) Still a stinky, smelly little boy, which my boy mom Heart, just like freaking loves and wanted to be messy on his terms, just his terms, right? So we pulled out I had a company come out and it was Kelsey. We, she came out and we set up the head tracker on um, Zuvo. Am I saying that right? Zuvo13 is that, yeah. I'm saying that right. Yeah, right? I, yep. that,
1: that's how I say it too. Is so.
0: Yeah. I but the way the alphabetical soup on that one, I am not the Arctic therapist, folks. So, anyways, and you know what? We set it up so he could also have direct access. He could also reach for, and he, and it was simply the games. Y'all, they have a game on there that just farting clouds. <laughs> you look at it and it farts. And you know what? That four-year-old engaged, and when I mean engaged, he started belly laughing. And like they he to the point that like he almost fell out of like the assistive chair. So we had to like actually buckle him in that time. <laughs> so like which we don't normally do, but like he thought it was the greatest thing in the world and it was farts. And I was like, oh my God, you are such a little boy. <laughs>
1: That's a <laughs> boy all the way through. That's hilarious.
0: Right. But like, that was how we got him to bridge over to communications. So then we like, worked in on a different device. And you know what, that actually he got so into it when dad and I were modeling on the device, how we could actually touch it and then the pie in the face game or like, like, he started using his right hand and then he started using his left dom- non dominant hand to actually reach out and make fart clouds and like ot was ecstatic like everybody's happy and now he's like i don't know steven i think for this kid it like it was the first time family got that he was a little boy right and right. not and so all of a sudden he start y'all. He started playing with the world. Stephen, we are so far over, but like this case, like he started playing, and now he's on the ground, and like he started like reaching for and moving towards like his trial device, and he started like these little bitty like this is below the clavicle, but it's like a rudimentary like crawl, yeah. And but he wants to make things
1: fart, right?
0: And yes, okay, what, sorry, whatever
1: but, engages, so, so that farts yeah. work. And, I, and I'm assuming that's the is that look to learn is that that kind of set? oh game? yeah
0: I didn't I yes I, I should have probably named the, the program probably it's look it. to learn and it's one of their games but like it's the farting game and everybody needs a farting
1: game <laughs> especially the boys yes look, look <laughs> to learn. yeah and there's some other options to kind of pair help kids learn I really like that especially for uh, switches. And so really, really a lot of different options there. Xbox, have you have you messed with the adaptive controller or seen that? So Microsoft came out with that one. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. So we set it up and we had an Xbox and we set it up with a Rocket League, especially cars playing soccer. So when we were setting it up, you could do more complex configurations they were able to actually do everything with. But in some other situations, they were only able to do the boost, you know, if they were just doing single switches. But I was using the joystick to kind of guide it and then they would just boost around and that was super, super motivating. And there's a way to do uh switch games now. Then um, you can mm-hmm. ad- adapt a controller and really whatever button you want to do, you can have all the buttons and do all of it and have uh, 20 switches or you can have one or two that makes the character jump or whatever. So you can adapt and do any of those things. So, but help kids learn and look to learn the ones that are already on the devices, especially for eye gates you're talking about, are easier to use because some of those Adaptive controllers. I mean, you gotta really start working on that to get it all—all all the technology to work well. So I really like some of those that are already built in. And and you're talking about somebody from Talk to Me Technologies. Wyatt's my, my person from uh, Talk to Me Technologies. Lane Rock.
0: Yeah, hi Wyatt. We love you, Wyatt.
1: <laughs> so he's he's the one I interface with more. That they, they can show you how to use all those things and really work on those access methods. So those are super super good.
0: Okay, wait. While we're there, I also just have to thank Darlene. With Talk to Me Technologies because she has helped me so many times. When, like, I may or may not have sat on a key guard or a key guard got <laughs> taken off when I'm trying to like program and add a new word, like on the fly in therapy, and it got put on a trampoline and one kid jumped on it. Oh, we had a kid learn to jump off the screen of his device, but OT was really happy because he cleared it with two feet. Thank you, Talk to Me, for replacing
1: the screen. <laughs> Yeah, they, they've been very kind over the years, especially with uh, just allowing trials to move around. And uh, I I've had some of these devices for years, and they're they're still okay with that. Yeah, they they are super easy to work with,
0: folks. They do not pay us to say these things, yeah, yeah, but like they make our lives
1: better. We're not getting any commissions. Yeah, no, we just <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you. We are better. We are not worthy. <laughs> oh wow, just made me old, but I love Mike Myers. Okay, oh, yeah, so. Anywho, for all the, the millennials in the room, know what I'm talking about. Everybody else is like, what is she referencing? <laughs> okay, Stephen, we like legit went so far over, but I love this. And folks, if you work with children that have a language delay or disorder, AAC is in your wheelhouse. You don't have to refer out to somebody else. This is. You should be doing this too, right? It's amazing. And there's tools out there and there's resources and people to support. Okay. Steven, per the usual, we're gonna have to have you come back because we're gonna need
1: (laughs) I'm glad glad to come back anytime. Here's
0: here's my idea for the next one. Okay. I want to do an episode about goal writing for AAC, but making sure it's neurodiversity affirming. Go. Okay. Yay! Yay! Everybody was like, "Yes," because I hate writing goals. Also, spoiler alert: you don't need to write four hundred goals. You can write three goals, and that's good enough.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, like, and and I, and I know there's a lot of um, so there's a lot of different ways to slice that, but I, I like yeah. a lot of pragmatic functions. Um, so it's really kind of broad, but we're focusing on different yes. ways of communicating. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't have to have all these highly detailed complex multiple goals no i feel like those really kind of give you know a lot of flexibility without overcomplicating
0: it yes yes because i have i have an idea for a project but that will it is not yet made it to the um cork board next to my desk it's still in my head
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's That's funny
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So one more time, if folks um, want to reach you or follow you, where can they go to reach out?
1: Yeah. uh, Any speech and language songs is my my handle and all the different social medias. uh, Feel free to follow me or send me a message or anything like that. That's pretty much it.
0: Excellent, and folks, if you can't find him on the world of social media, please be sure to check out his beautiful brides, amazing pubs, and they are one more time, Stephen.
1: So we had she has the Alley Downtown Tap Room, and that's uh, downtown Aiken. Whiskey Alley, which is downtown Aiken, and Draft Society, which is downtown Augusta.
0: So just make a day trip, yeah, or like
1: three. Hit all all three in one night. That's fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, with an Uber.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Let me know. I'll drive you back and forth. I'll be be (laughs) your chauffeur. I'll be your tour guide.
0: Excellent, Stephen. Thanks, man. Hang on one second, okay. Feeding Matters guides system wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So, what is this alliance?